Okay, today is December the 20th. Five days till Christmas. I don't have to tell you that if you've been out anywhere, even in Brown. The traffic is not so good. So, um, <clears throat> we are going to have Christmas service on Christmas morning, same time. I've had a lot of people call. There are going to be people coming from out of town that have called me to make sure that we were going to have the service. <clears throat> Some of them I haven't seen in over 10 years are going to be here. So, I'm looking forward to that. I can't think of any other announcements that I need to make. So, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. A few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, for your word, for all the grace that you have provided for us to be able to study your word this evening. We pray that you will help us to focus. There's a lot going on in most people's lives these days, but we need to put that on, on hold so that we can be conformed to the image of your Son by taking in your word, allowing the Holy Spirit to take and change our mind, renovate our mind so that we are able to think divine viewpoint and understand the scriptures that we're going over. Very few people understand them. It's important that we do, so we pray that you will enlighten us as we study, for we pray this. In Christ's name, amen. If you'll turn your Bibles to, guess where? James chapter 2. <clears throat> you know, I saw something on the news the other day that was heartening. I believe when... Believers get together and raise their voice that it can make a difference. I noticed that the woman that was in charge of the Memorial Cemetery in Houston area is no longer there. She has been sent back to the netherworld of Washington, D.C. <laughs> it's a good place for her, right. So... Uh, I was glad to see that, as you may know, that she was trying to erase any vestige of God from that memorial cemetery, <clears throat> not allowing the people even to mention God, not to pray to God. She had shut down the chapel. She didn't have any music allowed that have anything of God. And now it appears that that is back on track and she is somewhere else. So, uh, and James... Chapter 2, where it really starts getting interesting, the whole book is interesting, but as far as our cause, it starts in verse 14. We've already read every scripture leading up to that so that we are in perfect harmony to understand that this is not referring to anything that has to do with eternal salvation. This has nothing to do with the gospel, has nothing to do with imputed righteousness, has nothing to do with imputed eternal life. None of the many spiritual assets that we gain when we believe in Jesus Christ have no bearing here. 
With that said, let's look at verse 14. And we're going to read to verse 22 because that's where we left off. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Of course, since it isn't talking about anything that is salvific, the answer, of course, is no, it cannot. If a brother or sister without clothing is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you say to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? And of course, the answer would be absolutely no use. Even so, now he's making comparison here, even so, if faith has no works, it is dead being by itself. As long as you keep in mind that this has nothing to do with the faith at salvation, it's easy to understand. The faith, the body of doctrine that you accumulate after you have believed in Jesus Christ, if it has no works, if it has no application, it would be helpful to pencil in those words there because that will help you to understand it. And it would be just as accurate. Someone that is initiated with regards to Systematic theology could just as easily translate it that way. Even so, faith being the body of doctrine that you have, if it has no application, it is dead being by itself. Isn't that easy to understand? That's what it's talking about. Now in verse 18, it gets a little bit sticky for some. Because James is going to play the straw man, he's going to make an argument for them so that he can address it. But someone may well say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You remember the whole idea here is these believers are embarrassed by James because he is pointing out that there is a connection between faith and works after salvation and they're trying to let you know there isn't and he is making the case for them an illustration this is what they would be saying to him and essentially what he is saying for them is that if you can do this if you can show me Your faith without works, if you can do that, and he cannot, then they say, then I will show you my faith by my works, which cannot be done either. So what they're trying to do is disconnect the faith after salvation, the body of doctrine with application, because they weren't making application. And they're saying there's no connection there. Why don't you get off our case? You're trying to make a case that we should be doing these things. And there's no connection between faith and works. And then they go on a little further and make an illustration that really derails so many people. (coughs) Verse 19, if you remember, that this has nothing to do with the faith that they share, demons and humans, in this illustration. This is simply an illustration. What they have faith in is absolutely of no consequence. The only point being made here is that you have two entities, a human and an angel, or 
humans and angels, both have faith in the same thing, and the result is that it produces different results. I mean, it produces different results. And so, again, they're trying to show, see, there's no connection between faith and works. If there was, how could the same faith in the same thing produce different results? That's what they're saying, and this is the way they say it, or the way James says it. <clears throat> you believe that God is one, and all he's saying is the straw man is alleging that you, I, possibly he's talking to James, uh, using James as an illustration, or a believer, any believer would do. A believer believes that God is one. In other words, he believes in monotheism. And that's what we believe in. God is one. He is a triune God that is one in essence. We are not into polytheism, which is the belief in many gods. We believe in one God that exists in three persons. But that, none of that is the issue. All, all that he's saying is he's, he's bringing in an illustration that both humans and angels, even fallen angels, have in common. Fallen angels, which he calls uh, demons here, the demons believe that also. The demons believe and they know that God is one. There's not many gods. There's only one God. So believers believe that. And demons believe that. It doesn't go any further than that. He's just trying to show that you have two entities believing in the same thing, and then he's going to, with somewhat of um, an ellipsis, he's not saying he's not really explaining it too much, but when he says uh, the demons also believe and shudder, you have to fill in the blanks about what he's talking about there. The reason they shudder is because it produces no good works from the demons. Demons don't produce good works. And a person who has faith, when he says you have faith, <coughs> you believe that God is one, you do well. When he says you do well, he's essentially saying from that belief it spurs on good works from you. You believe that God is one and the result is you do well. You do good works. However, the demons believe also in that same thing, but they shudder. The reason they shudder, they have no good works. They can't, do, they can't produce good works. This has absolutely nothing to do with eternal salvation. And when someone comes to you and you're telling them that salvation is faith alone and Christ alone, and they're trying to diminish, undermine that idea, they'll, they'll quote, yeah, but in James it says that the demons believe and they shudder. That what, are they, what they're trying to allege is that faith alone cannot save anyone because the demons have faith and it didn't save them. But all you have to do, and by the way, make them articulate that. Don't do it for them. When they say, well, yeah, but the demons believe and they shudder. Well, so what? What does that have to do with anything? They probably cannot articulate their position. But even if they can, you can say, well, yeah, but what do the, the, the demons believe in? They believe in monotheism. That never saved anyone. Because being saved eternally isn't even in the point. It's not the point in this verse. It's not the point in the chapter. It's not the point in the entire epistle. So all this is saying is that you have two entities that believe the same thing and it comes out with different results. That's the point that James 
is making for them. It could be maybe they can't even articulate their own position, so James is doing it for him, for them, and then he's going to demolish it. Because there is a link between faith and works after salvation. And that's what James is talking about. That's why he's making this case. But to leap from there and say, oh yes, but it also applies to faith at gospel hearing as well. Then you've gotten into heresy. You have to rightly divide this. Is that hard? Are, are, people, are y'all understanding this? Are you getting it to where you could un- explain it to other people? What they believe in doesn't make any difference whatsoever. It could say, you love ice cream. The demons love ice cream. You do well. Because you don't make a pig of it. You, don't, that's, you eat other things besides ice cream. So you do well. But the demons, they don't have any self-control. And all they do is eat nothing but ice cream all the time. It rots their teeth and they're going to hell. I mean, it doesn't, you understand, it doesn't matter what the, 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 they both believe in. That's not the point. The point is they both believe in the same thing and, and it makes different results. And they think this has made their case. Verse 20. <clears throat> now, in verse 20, what's the first word? But. Now there's going to be a change here. He is contrasting this. He says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? What is, what is James doing now? He is tearing down that straw man that he built up. He built him up so he could tear it down in front of these people to show that what they are saying is asinine. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And he's talking about doctrine without application is useless. Why can't believers apply doctrine? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, they don't know it. That is what submarines and sinks most believers. They're not interested in the Word. And you can't apply what you don't know. So obviously, their, their faith is useless because they don't even know what to believe. And then you have believers who learn doctrine. At least they made that major step. But they don't apply it. Is that what good is that faith? It's useless, isn't it? Then there are people who learn doctrine, but they're sporadic. They don't keep their momentum going by continuing in the, the intake of the word. So they forget doctrine. What good is the doctrine that you once know but you forgot? What is what would you label that? How about useless? See, it has absolutely nothing to do with faith at salvation and without the works, then it's useless. Well, that gets into blasphemy. Verse 21, now he's going to make some illustrations. Was not Abraham my father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? We, we have gone over this at least one time. 
Abraham was not justified by God when he offered up Isaac, was he? Not in the sense of having imputed righteousness, was he? He didn't receive eternal life when he offered up Isaac, being obedient and producing this good work. He didn't get... The Bible says, in fact, we look at what did he get from this? Well, he got a lot of blessings. He got a lot of great things. But none of it had anything to do with an eternal sense. When Abraham offered up Isaac, he was justified before men. People saw what happened. That is experiential justification. Abraham wasn't even justified before God back in Genesis chapter 15 when God made the Abrahamic covenant to him and he promised him that his, his uh, offsprings would be as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea and so forth. When he believed then, he did not receive eternal justification. He, was, he heard what he said and he believed that but believing that promise is not what saved him. You have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. It's when God came to Abraham then, actually it was Abram, and told him to cross the river. By the way, when he crossed the river, he became a Hebrew. In, in, Hebrew, in the language, Hebrew, Hebrew means the one that crosses the river. So when he crossed the river and was obedient it was a sign that he had already believed God. That's when he received imputed righteousness and eternal life. Verse 22, You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And that's where we're going to begin tonight. Right here. Oh, what does it say? Did it say power? Okay, I pressed the power. I'm afraid to press it again. It might go off. The light's still on there. There it is. Okay. Sometimes I like to play with it. Okay. James chapter 22. So we're going to look at this in more detail. You see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. The works mentioned in this verse, remember I closed this last time saying this. Uh, Michael, uh, Michael Asker made a point or asked a question about this. It's not works of morality. Christians should certainly be moral, but unbelievers can be moral. Can, do, can they not? The work that perfects one's faith is applying doctrine to circumstances. That is divine good. That's done under the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that is the only work that counts as far as God is concerned. If you are moral, that's good. Every person should be moral. Even unbelievers should be moral. But see, being moral is not necessarily linked to the spiritual dynamics of the church age. It's not, it's, you can be moral without being filled with the Holy Spirit. But you cannot apply doctrine without the filling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot trust God without the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about things that occur after salvation. So applying doctrine to, 
doctrinal truth to circumstances is much higher than mere morality. Here's a uh, <coughs> quote from James, Faith without works is dead, from Moses Amwebiko. Quote, Abraham's work was not the work of morality. It was a work of application of the biblical truth in his soul. You see, the work James is emphasizing is not the work of morality, which the Apostle Paul ma maintains cannot save anyone, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, which it should be one of the verses. That I'm, I've got to pick a verse here in another week for us to memorize. <coughs> Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, for no man is justified by the works of law. Even we are not justified by the works of law, for no man is justified before God by the works of the law. Then it goes on. Rather, it is the synthesizing God's Word in our souls and applying it to everyday exigency of life. That's what he's talking about, and I think that's an important point. You can't go out and grit your teeth and produce the kind of divine good, the kind of works that are pleasing to God that is going to... Uh, wind up with rewards. You can't do it. We don't have the power to do it. You're going to find that out this weekend, probably. All you have to do is be around some of your relatives. And God says, I command you to love them. They're, they're a person. They come under the heading of homo sapien. They're a human being. God says, we're supposed to love everybody. And I know every family, don't look so pious, Every family have people. Every person have people in their family they just soon avoid. But you come together on these holidays and God says you love them. Well, you can't do that. You can't come up with yourself. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can. It doesn't mean that you have to go up and gush all over them, slobber over them and all that. It's just talking about you don't have any middle attitude sins towards them. You're not, you don't have animosity towards them. <coughs> Remember that James is responding to the objector straw man who claims there is no connection between faith and works. He is essentially saying, wait a minute, you foolish man. You make such a big deal about justification by faith. Can't you also see how Abraham was also justified by works when he offered, when he offered up his son Isaac to God? Do you notice that also is in italics? You see that? That word is very important. He was also justified. One of the keys of understanding James chapter 2 is it's not talking about adding to one justification, faith plus works. It's talking about two different justifications. So let's look at our verse, yet lest we forget it. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, Faith was perfected. We'll get to that part of it in a moment. His faith in God and his word after he was eternally saved motivated him to produce good works. And acting on that motivation completed or perfected that faith. In other words, when we believe in Jesus Christ, there is a potential there that wasn't there before. No person short of believing in Jesus Christ, can ever produce the kind of works that are pleasing to God. 
because it requires the filling of the Holy Spirit, and they don't have the Spirit. So anybody that believes in Jesus Christ has at that point the potential to develop that faith, to have that momentum, and produce those works. Whether a person does or not, whether a believer does that or not, is not dependent upon God. God is always there willing to help, gives you everything necessary to do it. It depends on your volition. Your positive volition at God uh, towards Jesus Christ and God at the gospel is in the aorist tense, it's in a point of time. But after that, there has to be an ongoing, a lifetime full of positive volition that makes thousands of decisions that is going to develop that potential to the point to where you wind up being an Abraham that is willing and trusting God enough to offer up his favorite special son to die that started out only as a potential. It starts that way within all of us. So, <clears throat> his faith in God and his word, after he was eternally saved, we're talking about Abraham, motivated him to produce good works and acting on that motivation, completed or perfected that faith, which was just, uh, it was, all that was just a potential. One reason the consistent intake of Bible doctrine is so important is because without it, there will be little or no motivation towards good works. A person who believes in Christ is eternally saved, but if he doesn't grow spiritually, he will, be, he will have no legitimate motivation towards works and will be in danger of intense divine discipline. Notice right here, it says he doesn't have any, he will have no legitimate motivation this is what clouds the, the the this is what murkies the water there's a lot of people out there that have motivation to do good works but it's not legitimate they're doing it for the wrong purpose they're trying to have self-aggrandizement they're trying to uh, be popular they're trying to be well-liked it, it could be it's uh, from approbation lust. They want everybody to like them. It could be that they want to climb the ladder. They want to be a, a, a social success or in business a success. There's a thousand different reasons why people can produce good works. They're not legitimate. That's why I said here, a person who believes in Christ is eternally saved, but if he doesn't grow spiritually, he will have no legitimate motivation towards works and will be in danger of intense divine discipline. What is a legitimate motivation towards works? Can y'all give me two? Anybody want to take a stab? What is, give me one legitimate motivation for a believer to produce good works. Love of God. That's a good one. Certainly. What? Who's love? We're not talking about God. We're talking about our motivation. You're talking about His love for us motivates us to, to do it? Yeah, that would come under the heading of love for God. Reciprocal love back to God. What's another one? Yeah. 
right? Okay, it could, it could be from a genuine compassion from within, right? Okay, that's good. We've got two, but there's another one that y'all haven't given me yet. There, finally. Eternal rewards. I couldn't hear it. There was other people talking. I ought to get on y'all like I do the kid. Raise your hand. <laughs> Stand up. Raise your hand. Stand up. Speak clearly. Uh, yeah, another legitimate motivation is rewards. That's legitimate. That's what God, that's why God dangles them out there for us. Hey, look at this. Look what I've got for you. And as I said in the past, I think that might be more of a motivation to a, a newer believer. The more you learn about God, the more that you trust Him and see His faithfulness, eh, what comes more of a motivation is your love for Him. So a person who believes in Christ is eternally saved, but if he doesn't grow spiritually, he's got a problem. That's what, that's what so many people don't understand. They think, I believed in Christ. I'm going to heaven. There's no problem. That's what the people that James was trying to reach were saying the same thing, and they are acting accordingly. They weren't even being obedient. By the way, if you don't show up to, a, to the assembly, if you don't assemble yourselves together for the study of God's Word, you are disobedient to God. It's being disobedient. If you don't learn doctrine and apply doctrine, you are being disobedient to God. Because there are several commands in the imperative mood. Do these things. You do it. And a lot of people say, well, you know, that's, I have a choice in the matter. They do. But what they don't realize is that when they disobey these commands, the unbelievable suffering and discipline that goes along with that. I said before, we're so accustomed to parents letting their kids run rampant, disrespectful, disobedient, rowdy, ankle biters, curtain climbers. But God's not that way. The quantity or quality of faith one has in the gospel has no connection with the quality or quantity of faith one has in producing good works. Now, that's very important. Look at it right here. The quantity or quality of our faith that one has when you believe in the gospel. Remember, just a little bit towards God. It's a done deal. God unloads on you all these wonderful things. But it has no connection with the quantity or quality of faith one has in producing good works. That is after salvation. Nothing. Not a zero, zilch. Everything that is done at the point of salvation is what God has done. And it's based on your positive volition and His Son taking care of your sin problem. That's a complete package in and of itself. After that, with regards to what's going to happen in your life, has no bearing on that. Because that's what God does. After that, now it's our show. Now God expects us to produce. He, produce, he expects us to obey His commands. And there's a potential for unbelievable success. 
And there's a potential, potential for indescribable pain and suffering if you're going to ignore that. That's the point that James is making. There is a connection with faith and works, but he's always talking after salvation. Now the latter, that would be talking about producing good works after salvation, the latter faith is determined by the volition of the believer and his faithfulness in learning and applying the Word of God. Why, why is this not being just given throughout the nation, throughout the world, all the pastors? Why are they not teaching their congregations this? Because this is what life is all about after salvation, is it not? Don't people need to know how to be accepted by God after salvation? They're already accepted in the Beloved. That's a done deal. But we're talking about after salvation. They didn't need to know that they need to use their volition to show their faithfulness. And the only way that you can show faithfulness, the only way that you can be accepted by God after salvation, the only way that you can get rewards, the only way that you can be experientially sanctified and justified is to learn God's Word and apply it. Period. There's no other way. Not just by applying it willy-nilly. It's learning it and then applying it. What I'm giving you is to so many, what to so many people is a secret. It's a mystery. How do, we, how do we please God after salvation? Well, I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments. Well, that's morality. Unbelievers, there's probably unbelievers all over the world who do it better than we can. That's not it. There's a superior spiritual life that God expects us to learn and apply. And He will take us places that we would never even dream of. And He's not this old softer that just says, well, they're not assembling themselves. They're not learning doctrine. They're not praying. There's no spiritual motivation. There's no application. They're not being faithful servants. Well, I guess I'll just have to lump it. That's not our God. He loves us too much to let that happen. Parents that are on top of their children, that will discipline them diligently. What does the Bible say about them? They love their children. In fact, it says, for those who do not discipline their children diligently, hate their sons. You see the connection? People can't make that connection with God. They think, I can do anything. God's okay. I mean, I'll, I'll get around to it someday maybe. That's why God expects us to have Him number one in our life. And we cannot have God number one in our life if we don't have doctrine in our soul. If we're not thinking doctrine, we're not applying doctrine, then God is not number one. And you cannot have Him number one apart from His Word, period. An ignorant... Believer that is ignorant is an enemy to the cross. When a person places his faith alone in Christ alone, God accomplishes everything necessary to justify that person and make him qualified for heaven. There is no work involved. However, qualifying a person for rewards is altogether different. It does require work and it depends on the faithfulness of the believer to exploit God's grace in order to reach spiritual maturity. You see, there is, a, there is a responsibility that we have. It requires work 
And it depends on us. We can't do it by ourselves. I'm not leaving God out of it. He has to still give us the ability to do what he commands us to do. But what he will not do is go in and force any believer, their volition, to comply. But he holds us responsibility for, uh, responsible for that volition. Did he hold Satan responsible for his? Did he, did he hold Eve responsible? Did he hold Adam responsible? And Eve was in ignorance. So if God did not spare her because she was ignorant, she was really duped by Satan, what makes people think that he's going to spare all these believers who are ignorant? Ignorant is no excuse. If you don't believe it, get out here on this highway 290 and go from Chapel Hill to Brenham and going 80 miles an hour tonight. You may make it and you might not. If there's any lawman around, you're not going to make it. And when he pulls you over and he says, what are you doing? Is there an emergency? Well, no. What's the problem, officer? Don't you know you were speeding 80 miles an hour? Oh, is that what it is? Well, I didn't know that was. I thought that, I thought that the speed limit was probably 80 around here. I didn't. How's that going to play? Huh? He's going, oh, well, you didn't know. You didn't, well, if you didn't understand, that's okay. I'll just void this ticket. What's the chances of that happening? See, when you put it into shoe leather, people understand. Ignorance is no excuse. You cannot apply good works that are acceptable to God if you don't know doctrine. How many believers do you know that don't even know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you don't know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can produce no works that are pleasing to God. He's not impressed with what you can come up with. He's only impressed with what he can do. Because the whole show is about him, not us. And so once you understand how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you start connecting the dots, you understand what's happening, now you are on track to be a what? Good and faithful servant. You can't be good if you're not faithful. And you can't be faithful if you're not good. They go together. It all has to do with your volition and the choices that you make. The choice that you made to be here tonight on a Tuesday night this close to Christmas has everlasting repercussions. You know that? God never takes your positive volition and your, you, you, you take that spiritual momentum and apply it to your circumstances and it comes out in shoe leather that you wind up in a Bible class out in the middle of the... Well, we're not even close to any towns here. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And you're concentrating and you're learning. That has everlasting repercussions, benefits, privileges, opportunities, crowns, rewards, decorations. And for the ones who use their volition to do something else, again, we're, not, we're only thinking of us. Don't think about people that you know that aren't here. For all you know, they're at home getting doctrine on the Internet. They might be home studying their Bible. We don't know why people aren't here. It's none of our business. But I'm trying to show you principles and encourage you and exhort you. This is what it takes in order to be a good and faithful servant. 
going to some mega church and having all the lights and the drums and the guitars and the music and all this and getting all riled up in your emotions, that's not being a good and faithful servant. You can't be a servant if you don't know how to serve. And those most churches aren't teaching people how to serve. They're just giving them an emotional stir and calling it spirituality, and they don't have a clue what spirituality is. I had, I had no idea that I was going to start preaching on all this. It just, it just gets to me when you see this. It does require work. That is what our life is about after salvation. And it depends on our faithfulness. I know of pastors that wouldn't, they would no more come to a, a small Bible class like this with, what, we got 20 people here, something like that tonight? We used to have 40. I don't know what happened. They wouldn't waste their time because they're into the, they're into the numbers. They're into the big uh, fancy things. But I was fortunate enough to learn a long time ago that my rewards and decorations do not depend on the numbers at this church. It doesn't even depend on your positive volition. My rewards and decorations are going to depend on the same reason that you are going to have rewards and decorations, and that is your faithfulness. I'm faithful here to the Lord to exercise my spiritual gift to teach His Word. Your duty is to come and learn it. We both have our areas that we are required to do. And if you are faithful in doing that, no matter how many people here or who's teaching, the messenger doesn't matter. It's, I mean, the, the, the man is the message. If you are faithful in doing that, then you can count on one of these days if you continue to hold on to that confidence that God knows, He takes note that you're doing this, that you're going to be one of those that He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see that faith was working with His works. And as a result of works... Faith was perfected. What faith? The faith that you have. What did you know? How much faith did you have? What did you know about systematic theology when you believe the gospel? Huh? You don't need to know much. All you need to know, well, somebody told me that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He went to the cross, He died for my sins, and if I believe in Him, I have eternal life, and I'm be with Him in heaven forever. Okay, I believe that. What does that do? That makes you qualified for heaven. Not only qualified, I mean, you're, you're heaven bound. But, you know there's always a but. That does not qualify you for rewards. Before you get rewards, you have to be, what? Perfected. Now, in the English language, this, this doesn't really communicate that well. It, the, the Greek word here is teleo, T-E-L-E-I-O-O. It's a verb and it's the aorist passive indicative, which is very important. I'll explain that to you in a moment. It means to, to complete, to mature, to finish. This is a cognate of tetelestai, which is what Christ said on the cross. What did he say when he was on the cross? It is finished. It's completed. Nothing else needs to be done. 
So what God wants us to do is to be perfected. He wants us to mature. It carries the idea of fulfilling a potential that comes with believing in Christ. Believing in Christ will get you to heaven, but it will not fulfill the potential for rewards. That's up, for, that's up to you. Every believer has the potential to reach spiritual maturity because of the tremendous grace assets God has given him at salvation. It is up to each individual believer to either take advantage of those assets or ignore them. God doesn't force anyone to take advantage of his grace. He doesn't force you to learn doctrine. He doesn't force you to apply doctrine. He gives you the means to do so, and he rewards you for doing, for doing so. But if you choose not to do it, that's fine. He gave you the volition, but he's going to hold you responsible. And if you ignore him and his word, eventually you're going to wish that you didn't. He will make sure of it. And that's what people miss. Let's look at the verse one more time. I don't think I'll go into verse 23. There's so much in this one. <coughs> you see that faith, the body of doctrine that a, that a believer has, was working with his works. In other words, there's a connection there. See how James is saying there's a connection? He's saying in so many words, you see that faith and works are connected here. You have faith was working with his works. There's, there's a connection. And as a result of works, faith was perfected. It was completed. Now let me ask you this, and if you get this right, we can leave and make me happy. You'll make me happy if you get this one right. It says his faith was perfected. What does that have to do with the faith at salvation? Is that what he's talking about? No. He's not talking about that. But he is, in a way, linking that faith with the works that come after. You know, what is our purpose? Have you ever heard me say or any other pastor or somebody say, why are we here? What is Christ's goal for us? His goal is to obviously glorify him but we are to be conformed to the image of his son. Isn't that true? Where does that take place? Up here, doesn't it? God wants us to think like Christ thinks. And that takes a, a lifetime to do. And this is what he's saying. That's, if your faith is working, then as a result, working with your works, as a result of works, your faith is going to be perfected. Saying that your faith is perfected, it is matured, it is complete, is the same thing as saying you have been conformed to the image of God's Son. It's the same thing as saying you have been experientially sanctified. It's the same thing as saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you see that? This is just another way of saying that. And if you don't have those, if you don't have those Actually, I'm going to show you in the next couple of verses that it's, 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 not the, it's not actually the works that vitalizes everything. We're going to see in one of these verses that it is that spiritual momentum from within that produces the works. That's what is 
not the works themselves. The works are just the obvious manifestation that other people can see. But what people can't see is that desire, that mo motivation, that momentum that you have from within to produce those works. That's what God is interested in. And if you have that motivation, you have that momentum, you will have those works. Men will be able to see it. They can't see the faith you had at salvation. They can't see that spiritual momentum that you get from God's Word and you want to be a good and faithful servant. People can't see that, but they can see your works. We'll get into that next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time for allowing us to focus on your mighty Word and for us to really meditate and realize and understand what James is saying. How absolutely imperative it is for believers to understand God does have something for us after we believe the gospel he holds us accountable for all the mandates he gives us to grow in grace and knowledge and for those who don't do that they will pay here on earth as well as all eternity in heaven for being a peon but for those who do recognize what James is saying. And they do have this spiritual momentum from within to produce good works. And they act on it. They will be blessed mightily here on earth and even more so in eternity. We pray that you will help us to meditate on these things and in our own words be able to convey that to others. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.